Here comes Clark. How will she go for history? Basketball. Here comes Clark. How will she go for history? There it is. And with that, she made history, becoming the all-time college women's basketball uh, scorer. Amazing. Can, can, wherever you are, cheer for her right now. I, and they interviewed her after the game, and they asked her about the shot. She said, you knew it had to be from the logo. So she shoots this really long three-pointer, and that was the, exactly the location that where she would break the record. Amazing. All of Iowa is very, very happy and proud of Caitlin Clark uh, from West Des Moines, Iowa. We are just overjoyed. And also, Caitlin had an incredible um, uh, community center uh, summer camp over at the Valley Community Center. So we're, we, we feel that kinship and really appreciate her. You know, the, the, here's a graphic of the location of all the 3,000 plus points uh, that Caitlin Clark uh, made to break the NCAA women's record for career points. Check it out. In real estate, they say, what matters? Location, location, location. And in the game of basketball, location also matters. And you saw all those crazy places where Caitlin Clark made all of her points. And it is an amazing record. And she scored points in dozens of arenas around our nation. But all the action happened actually in a single location, if you think about it, because it all happened in on a basketball court. And they're all the same dimensions, the same measurements to every basketball court. Uh, the rim is 10 feet high on every basketball court. And I, I just wonder, you know, those are the ones she made. Think of all the ones she missed. Think of all the practices that she had. Think of how many times Caitlin Clark has been on a basketball floor. Uh, and the truth is for her, a basketball floor is where she lives. I mean, it's her ordinary place of life. The breakthrough for her didn't come in an unusual place, really, but on her home floor in a place where she was very accustomed. Today, I want to talk to you not about Caitlin Clark's incredible breakthrough, uh, but I want to talk about your incredible breakthrough. All of us have an itch, an ache, perhaps, in our hearts, uh, at least a longing or desire to have some kind of breakthrough. It could be in uh, relationships. It could be in our career. It could be in our own character development. It could be in the influence and impact that we make in this world. It could be just want something to happen spiritually in our community and in our nation. We want breakthroughs. We want to see God at work. Where do you need a breakthrough today? Think about it. Where do you need a breakthrough? Uh, where would you like to see God move powerfully in your life, your character, your family, relationships, your workplace, in our community, in our nation? Uh, there's good news for you today. Wherever that might be, you can see transformation starting right where you are. Okay, you with me? So when you think of, let's go to the locations in the Bible. When you think of cities uh, in the uh, New Testament, we often think, of course, of Jerusalem. Uh, we think of uh, places like uh, Athens or Rome. We go to the Gospels, we think maybe Jesus uh, was born in 
Bethlehem. He, his home was Jesus of Nazareth, right? He performed his first miracle at the wedding of Cana, right? Those are the cities you think of. But of all the cities and all the villages mentioned in the New Testament, outside of Jerusalem, what is the city that is mentioned the most times? Over 50 times. Surprisingly, it is the city of Capernaum. Capernaum. Some people, even people that are believers in Jesus, don't even remember hardly ever hearing of Capernaum. But it was a very significant location in the Bible and has significance for us to know the Bible and also to live out the principles that we're going to learn from Jesus' ministry in and around Capernaum. Capernaum in Jesus' day was kind of a medium-sized city. We would consider it a small fishing village. About 1,500 people lived there in Jesus' day. And we're going to just, it's an ordinary place, small fishing village. Uh, and, but in the Bible, it takes on great significance because the Bible has what we call spiritual geography. That is, God doesn't just care about ideas and principles and thoughts and teaching. For whatever reason, God has located truth in time and places, in spaces where he meets us. Uh, and they matter to God and they should matter to us because the Bible mentions hundreds and thousands of geographical locations. And that's because we're not just spiritual beings. We are physical spiritual beings. We inhabit in our bodies places and spaces where God shows up. And I want to take you to a place today called Capernaum. It's the next stop on our spiritual geographic tour. Grab your spiritual geographic journal. And I think it's on page 38. We're going to go to the unlikely place of Capernaum. And I'm calling this a place to see God at work, a place to see God at work. So we're going to spend all of our time today, even though Capernaum is mentioned many times in the New Testament, we're going to take it today in Mark chapter one, the gospel of Mark chapter one, a little bit of Mark chapter two. And I want you to listen uh, and then see how God is at work in this place called Capernaum and how he can be at work in our lives. So we begin at Mark chapter one, verse 14. After John uh, was arrested, that was the John the baptizer who prepared the way for Jesus. Uh, after he was arrested by Herod, uh, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming, he comes from the Jordan River, Jordan area, comes to Galilee. This is where he lives. Uh, proclaiming the good news of God. And he announced this in Nazareth, uh, in the synagogue at Nazareth. And he says in Galilee to multiple places and, and people, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So Jesus begins his ministry in Galilee, a physical spirit, a spiritual and physical location. And here's the first, I'm going to just kind of empty out these principles as we walk through the passage. The first thing we learn about Jesus is, is that this, wherever Jesus goes, good news arrives. The presence of Jesus brings good news. And the good news is coming in the person of Jesus who is God in human flesh. So when G Jesus comes into your place, that means there's good news. And th this is so important for us to get this, that ultimately the message of Christianity is what? Good news. I don't think that a lot of people in our culture necessarily think that. And sometimes for good reason, they don't hear that even from the church. 
that we are bearers of good news, that Jesus brought good news. He says, believe the good news. It's incredible, this good news of God entering into history, of God coming to the rescue. In all of our sin and weakness and failures, he comes to the rescue because he cares about it, he loves us, and he doesn't want us to stay where we are. He accepts us uh, through grace, through Jesus, and as we trust in him to come into a new experience of God's love and mercy and compassion, truth and goodness. And he says, with me here in your presence, the time is fulfilled. All the plans of God come true. The kingdom of God has arrived. The reign of God, the, the, the way God's promises, it's all coming down to you guys right now. Repent. That means to change your mind, which results in a change of life. It's like, turn your head around. Get it in a new place in your head. Don't let these other things own headspace. Let me take over your headspace, rearrange your priorities, your mind, your perceptions, and believe the good news. I can bring you good news. So that's the first principle. Wherever Jesus goes, good news arrives. Verse 16, as he passed alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew. Now he's going to begin to call out his disciples and call them to come and follow him. Simon's brother was Andrew, uh, and they were casting a net into the sea, ordinary place, for they were fishermen just doing their job. Follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you fish for people. So they have a brand new calling in their life. They, they're going to leave their nets behind. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little farther, he saw James, uh, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat putting their nets in order. So they're also fishermen. Uh, from the same place, uh, immediately he called them and they left their father uh, and their nets uh, in the boat with the hired men and followed him. So they drop everything and they'd heard about Jesus. They, 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 they saw something and heard something compelling in him that they were willing to leave everything behind, the common and what they were uh, used to in their ordinary places of life and they're gonna follow Jesus. Here's another principle. Wherever Jesus goes, he mobilizes ordinary people in ordinary places. Peter, Andrew, James, and John are not superstars. They're not scholars. They're not theologians. They're not leaders. They're ordinary fishermen in Jesus' day. Now, I want to take you to where they were geographically, okay? So here is a map of the northern part of Israel. we got the Sea of Galilee here. So over here is Nazareth. If you can see this, Nazareth is, is right here. And um, this is really quickly uh, hit this. Um, uh, so here's Nazareth right here. Uh, and then Jesus comes to this area right here along the Sea of Galilee, and he's in a city, outside of a city called Capernaum, which is where uh, Peter, Andrew, James, and John lived, okay? So they're, uh, they're uh, doing their fishing business along the Sea of Galilee here, and Jesus is gonna spend an extraordinary amount of time at this kind of out-of-the-way place uh, in human history. Uh, theologians call this place, now we're zooming in here a little bit, we're gonna look at this carefully now, check it out here. Um, they're going to call this particular place, Capernaum, and three cities. Capernaum, can you see this right here? Capernaum, Chorazin, and Bethsaida. Okay, so this area, you see this area around here? Include a little bit maybe of the, of the Sea of Galilee as well. And that triangle, scholars and theologians call this the evangelical triangle. 
or the good news triangle, because evangelical means good news. The good news triangle. In other words, there's a lot of good news that goes on in here. Not just teaching, but actions of good news. Acts of miracles that Jesus got. So this is important for us to, to get to this, um, that this is, this is where Jesus is going to spend an extraordinary amount of time. Why do they call it the good news triangle? Number one, because Capernaum will become the adopted hometown of Jesus. He's actually going to relocate from down in Nazareth and he's going to spend most of his ministry. It calls later in the Gospels, calls him his town. So Capernaum is where Jesus relocates. It's his adopted hometown. And the second reason, so the presence of Jesus makes this good news triangle, but also Jesus did the majority of his recorded miracles inside this area. Okay, inside this triangle, these three cities, Jesus did about 55% of his recorded miracles happen inside this triangle. It's hard to believe that Israel's a large place, uh, you know, a large uh, land area, but most of 55% occurred inside that triangle. Now you ask me, how big of an area is that good news triangle? To give you an idea of how big that triangle is, I want to take you to a map of central Iowa. Okay, so check out this. Here's the first one. Here's Des Moines, Ames, Iowa City. There's that triangle, okay? Was the area of Jesus' uh, evangelical good news triangle that, that large? Nope. Go to the next one. How about Ankeny, West Des Moines, Carlisle? Nope. How about this one? Johnston, Waukee, West Des Moines? Nope. It's this one. So I put Valley Church down here. Jordan Creek Town Center out here and Valley West Mall over here. It is in that small of an area that 55% of Jesus' recorded miracles occurred. So you think about the areas around the two malls and down here to the Valley Church, Valley Community Center campus. Inside that, those square miles is where most of Jesus' miracles recorded in the scriptures occurred. I mean, those people were incredibly blessed to see all those amazing things happen in their lifetime, in those short three years. Amazing. So, small area, ordinary people, ordinary places. Can God show up in that sort of area again? Maybe a little bigger triangle than that? Sure he can. Let's keep going. Um, Back to the Gospel of Mark and our focus place here, Capernaum. They went into Capernaum, so they're on the sea, along the seashore. They go into Capernaum, uh, and right away he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and began to teach. So Capernaum, the synagogue, the ruins of it, still exist today. Check out this video. Unlike Jerusalem and other touristy ancient places in Israel, Capernaum seems to be untouched, still in its raw form. Walking here and looking at the lake, the hills, the mountains, we felt connected to its history. It is as if we could almost see Jesus walking on these shores, looking at the same hills. It's so serene and quiet. It's the perfect place to bring a Bible and just read in the morning. 
Besides the breathtaking nature, Capernaum has fascinating ruins. A 4th century synagogue built on top of the original one where Jesus taught, a house which is believed to be the house of Simon Peter the Apostle, the ruins of the old city, and much more. So join us in this episode as we explore this fascinating place. Absolutely beautiful, stunning, amazing. I have stood in that synagogue, the very spot where Jesus in an earlier synagogue that you can see the foundations of actually appeared and taught. And here's what it says when he went there into, into Capernaum. They were, he says, he began to teach. He, Jesus Christ, God in human flesh, was teaching in that physical space. And they were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them as one who had authority and not like the scribes. All the scribes did was kind of quote scholars and go back and they would do a lot of kind of dry lessons. Jesus brought it to life. He showed its relevancy and he spoke with great authority about what God actually intended for us from the scriptures. Here's the principle. Wherever Jesus goes, he prioritizes where people gather. This was Jesus' pattern. It also, by the way, is copied pattern of the Apostle Paul and the rest of the apostles is they, when they enter into a place, the first place they go is where people gather, where the community gathers. In the New Testament, this is the synagogues. Uh, synagogue means coming together, a place where you come together. That's what it means. Uh, in the, the word church in the uh, New Testament means assembly. It's where people assemble. So these are buildings that churches gathered in. Uh, in the New Testament, you see the synagogues constantly. You see people's homes. You see rented halls. Eventually, these will become church buildings. So this is, this is where Jesus prioritized a lot of his ministry. First started there where people gather. That's why Places and spaces like our church building, like other church buildings, like our community center, like your life group location, where people gather are important to God. Jesus himself prioritized those and went to those places. He did it in the first century, and now 21 centuries later, we're still going there. Just then, into that very synagogue, a man with an unclean spirit was in their synagogue. He cried out, what do you have to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit threw him into convulsions, shouted with a loud voice, and came out of him. And they were all amazed, and they began to ask each other, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once the news about him spread throughout the entire vicinity of Galilee. Here's what we learn here. Wherever Jesus goes, evil gets pushed back. Jesus came, he said, to destroy the works of the devil because there's so much evil in our world. Jesus comes with good news to deliver us, to set us free and to push back against the force of Satan. That's what we're about. That's what his movement is about. To not in a hostile, we hate you way, but we love you and care about you. And we're gonna push against what Satan has deceived people and, and overpowered people and have them in his clutches. That's what Jesus does. That's what the church is called to. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went into Simon Andrew's house with James and John, the house of Peter and Andrew, his brother. You can visit that today as well. Check out this video.
Every visitor who comes here is told that this is the house of Peter. But how do we know for sure? We know that this was a famous fishing village. We know that it was a central place. We know Jesus came and preached here from the Gospels. But how do we know this is the exact place of Peter's house, in fact? When they started excavating this place, they actually found walls that belonged to the first century, to the times of Jesus. And they also found that these walls have been turned into a church. So it was a house that was turned into a church later. Now, during the excavations, they found hundreds of graffitis on the walls dedicated to the Lord. And some even say they found the name of Peter as well. So based on all these findings and all this information, we come to the conclusion that this is the house of Peter. So you could actually go there and, and they took that house of, of Peter and they actually expanded it and made it into a church building. There's graffiti on the wall. That's how they know it was there. So, wow. Jesus goes to another place, a house. It's a, like a life group and it, may, may, it grows so big that it becomes a church building. Simon's mother-in-law was lying in bed with a fever and they told him about her at once. So he went to her, took her by the hand and raised her up. He come into where she lives. Peter lives and his mother-in-law is there. The fever left her and she began to serve them. Immediately starts ministering. When evening came and after the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and demon possessed. The whole town was assembled at the door and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and drove out many demons. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, went out and made his way to a deserted place. And there he was praying. So Jesus could also go to lonely places for him to spend time with his father. It was important to him to get away. He had places that he went to meet with his father. And Simon and his companions searched for him. Finally, they found him. When they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. Everybody wanted to see Jesus. And he said to them, okay, let's go on to the neighboring villages so that I may preach there too. This is why I have come. And so now Jesus is going to take off from Capernaum. He'll be back, don't worry. Um, but he's going to also go to these other neighboring villages like Chorazin, like Bethsaida, uh, in the Good News Triangle. And he's going to bring the good news, not just with his words, but with his actions. God, God is breaking in. He's come with his compassion and power to make a difference in your life, to bring you breakthroughs. Listen to me. He's coming into our places, in our life groups, in our churches, uh, and, and making a difference. That's what he's here to do. Are, we, are our eyes open to him at work? Can we see him when he arrives? He went into all of Galilee preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Then a man with leprosy came to him and on his knees begged him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing. He touched a leper in the synagogues. I am willing. Be made clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. Here's the principle wherever Jesus goes, compassion, healing, and hope break out. Good things start happening when the presence of Jesus is there. Are we going to be with him ambassadors, bringers, dispensers of hope and goodness and compassion and mercy? And will we invite him to be that in our homes, in our families, in our spaces and places? 
where we live and work and shop and play. Can we ask Jesus? Because he visited places then. He came into homes. He came into synagogues. He came into gathering places. And he cares. If he's asked, if he's invited, do you invite him? Do you ask him? Please come to this place. Come to our house. Come to our church building. Come to my workplace and show up, Jesus. When he, when, then when he entered Capernaum, now we're at Mark chapter 2, again after some days, so he went back to Capernaum, it was reported that he was at home. So here we learn that this is the, home, the adopted hometown of Jesus. He's got a place to stay there. Jesus went out again beside the sea, there along the Sea of Galilee shore. The whole crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. Then passing by, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me, and he got up and followed him. So now he reaches out right there along the Sea of Galilee, right there near Capernaum, disciple number five of 12, Matthew, Levi, the tax collector, the most notorious compromiser with Rome. He says, I've got better plans for you. And Jesus shows up in Capernaum again, calling a man who will eventually leave behind his tax books and take up the pen to write the Gospel of Matthew. While he was reclining at the table in Levi's house, now he goes from the, the place of his workplace to the place where he lives and spends time and with his friends, their hangout, their eating place. Many tax collectors and sinners were eating with Jesus. So now he's hanging around in the dining places with his disciples, for there were many who were following him. Excuse me. And when the scribes who were Pharisees saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Rabbis don't do this. They don't hang out in places like this with people like this. When Jesus heard this, he told them, it's not those who are well who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is who I'm calling to get well. I'm calling and inviting people. Are you... Are you sick? Are you worn out? Are you weak? Are you frail? Have you messed up? Have you sinned? Have you completely made a bungling mess of your life through bad choices or circumstances that have happened to you? I invite you to change your mind. Call them to repentance, to change your mind. Let me, let me take up your headspace and completely transform your mind and your life through it. Here's what we learn here. Wherever Jesus goes, spiritual breakthroughs can happen. He took a notorious tax collector and made him into a gospel writer. Wow. Here are my important takeaways from this message, guys. Number one, everything happens somewhere. <laughs> Duh. Yeah, but we don't often think about it. It has to happen somewhere. Why not here? Why not at your house? Why not at your school? Why not at our church? Why not at our community center? Why not here? God cares about physical locations and places. And, and, and places. God cares about geography. He must because he fills up his own word of God to us with all these descriptions of geography and rivers and forests and mountains and streams and cities and villages and lakes and seas. He tells us about them constantly. It's not just, it's not like other world religions that just talk about spiritual truths and principles. He puts it in real life places and spaces where he meets us. 
He specializes in spiritual geography. He wrote the book, Spiritual Geographic, we call the Bible. The Bible ends and actually begins in specific geographical locations, a garden, a city, a garden, a city. Jesus inhabits and visits where people live and eat and work and do business and go fishing and study and have conversations and spend time with friends. Jesus goes there and everything happens somewhere. Why not where you live and work and play and go to school? Second principle, Jesus usually works in ordinary places. Do you know that Jerusalem, that was the capital of, of Israel, of course, and Jesus it is, it is recorded, we, we don't know that he ever spent a single night in Jerusalem. He, he, when he went to Jerusalem, visited Jerusalem, he would go outside the city, but actually didn't spend any time in the most important, we think, place. Instead, he spends it in out-of-the-way places, outside of Jerusalem, Capernaum, the Good News Triangle. What have we seen so far in our passages today? The synagogue, where people gather for worship and fellowship, Jesus shows up there in the first century church buildings, essentially. Um, Luke's gospel tells us that was Jesus' established habit to go at least weekly to the synagogue, to the building, the worship building. That was important. He showed up there. Um, homes, he shows up there. Workplaces, he shows up there. Community spaces, he shows up there. Local hangouts, places where people eat and shop, and pay bills, he shows up at all those places. Jesus usually works in ordinary places uh, and, and ordinary activities. Uh, by the way, just a reminder, reminder, this week is Leap Day. Thursday is the extra day of the calendar and we have an incredible opportunity for you to show up, bring friends to show up in an ordinary place on a kind of unusual day. And that is uh, morning, afternoon, evening. We've got all sorts of crazy opportunities for you to do community stuff, show up like Jesus did, where people eat and, and, and play and, and meet. It's for students, it's for kids, it's for businesses. Show up, it's gonna be amazing. Um, please, uh, uh, and you can learn more about that through that QR code we give to you. Third, where can you ask for a good news breakthrough? Where can you ask for a good news breakthrough? Um, how, do you, how do you do that? How do you see a breakthrough? It's pretty straightforward. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Did you notice this A, ask, seek, knock, spells ask right there, ask. So ask God for a spiritual breakthrough. Seek God. Keep seeking God. That's the tense of that verb. Keep knocking on the door. Don't let it be passive and just kind of waiting for something to happen. Ask, seek, and knock for God to show up. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be open. What father among you, if he son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead of a fish? If he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts, gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? God wants to answer your prayers. Please ask him, but actively seek him in those ordinary places of life. Knock on the door of heaven and say, come and visit my house. Come and visit my school. 
Would you please show up, Jesus? Fourth, identify your good news triangle. Identify your good news triangle. So we saw Jesus' good news triangle. Here's our good news triangle. Okay, so this is kind of like our general big metro area. And I want you to take this in your own mind. Uh, and then uh, here's an even tighter look at this, maybe. Uh, and you just, you kind of just say in your mind, I want you actually to do this. Okay, so, so take this um, and, and kind of identify, like, where, where do I live? Okay, so for me, that's kind of right here. And where do I work? And for me, that's down here, uh, right here, actually. Okay, whoops, right here, uh, right here. And that's Valley Church. Everybody should put that because that's where Jesus shows up, where people gather for worship. Jesus shows up. So put that there where you work, uh, maybe where you do business. So you do business over here and maybe where you hang out with friends is here. You know, when I think about uh, our, uh, our uh, family, uh, where do our kids live? Uh, our kids, our, uh, our son lives in Clive. Our uh, middle daughter lives in Urbandale and our oldest lives in Cumming. Uh, and so you started in, where do I shop? Oh, it's over here at the, at the Jordan Creek Town Center, and it's over here at the mall here, and so forth. And you start identifying all these places. Once you identify those places in your mind or on a piece of paper, then what you do is you actually just do something very simple. You draw a triangle around them. And now you've got, that's a square actually, but pretty close. We draw a triangle, okay? And that's your good news triangle. I want you to actually do that. Not just, you know, seriously, do that. And say, God, that's my good news triangle. Where am I going to see Jesus show up? How am I going to seek to join him in his mission in this? And identify those places and then look for him to be at work. Actually do that little exercise. And then number five, believing is seeing. Believing is seeing. Here's the principle that we learn. Believing is seeing. We often say, see is believe it. Like, when I see it, then I'll believe. No, Jesus says, back it up the other way. When you ask, seek, knock, when you believe that God's going to be at work, that's when you see him work. Believing is seeing. But listen carefully to me, and I close with this. When you see God at work, there is both an opportunity and a great risk. There is potential and there is peril in your life. Because Jesus did over half his miracles in that little area, Chorazin, Bethsaida, and um, Capernaum, right? But later in the Gospel of Matthew, he got his five of his 12 disciples from Capernaum. But later in the Gospel of Matthew, he says this to those cities, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have departed, they repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. It will be more tolerable for you for Tyre and Sidon, which were notorious cities in the ancient world, at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No, you will go down to Hades because he said they rejected him. Yes, some believed, a lot of people believed, but there's a lot of people in that little fishing village of 1500, they're like, hmm. got excited for a little bit, but then, didn't ask, seek, knock. In other words, if Jesus does show up, you got to do something with that. You, you can't just be kind of halfway about this. You got to be all in, all in. Jesus sent out the 72 of his disciples to do his mission in this same area. And they returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. 
And he said to them, I watched Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Yeah, God showed up. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. Nothing at all will harm you. However, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In other words, it's not just about a big power encounter that matters. It's the relationship with God that you are part of his forever family, that God has written down your name in his book of life. That's what matters. Do you really know Jesus Christ or are you just excited about stuff? that you accomplish in life, that God allows and blesses you with, like they did in there. He says, the relationship with me is primary. At that time, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you've hidden these things. The deep spiritual truths of God at work. You've hidden these things from the wise and intelligent, the people that ought to know don't. And you revealed them to babies, to infants. Yes, Father, because this was your good pleasure. Unexpected people in ordinary places, that's who God used. That's who Jesus saw the Father reveal his work to in the Holy Spirit. And turning to his disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see the things you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings wanted to see the things you see, but did not see them. To hear the things you hear, but did not hear them. So believing is seeing. When you see God beginning to work, make sure you're all in. Today, I wanna close with a video. This is a baptism Sunday at Valley Church. And I wanna close the video of just one person of the, I think there's close to 40 people being baptized. Just one of them, a young man named Andrew who tells about how God showed up in his very, very messed up life. And we're praising God that he's at work in great ways. Um, let's watch this. So yeah, so first of all, thanks for allowing me to be with you and share my story. Um, it's difficult for me. There's details of it that I would rather in my pride keep to myself, um, but I want God to be glorified. And I want, uh, I want to present my life as a living sacrifice to him for, for his glory. So with that, I'll share my story. So I grew up on a small farm in a small town in Southwest Iowa with my parents and one brother. We were homeschooled and we always attended church as a family since my infancy. I was raised by godly parents and trained and instructed in the ways and the word of God. Despite all this, however, I had a secret. I wasn't really a Christian. I performed well in church, youth groups, etc., and knew all the right answers, but over time I developed a hard heart and refused to accept God's gift of Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross. I never developed a personal relationship with him. Instead, as I grew in age, I chose to be the captain of my own life and run it on my own terms. I chose myself over God. In college, I found myself devoid of anything resembling faith and began to battle with drugs and alcohol that lasted over a decade. Going into my third year of college, my alcoholism had taken over. My once perfect grades plummeted and I was forced to relinquish my scholarship to the United States Air Force Academy. I lost my chance to achieve my dream of being a fighter pilot. Depressed, I returned to Iowa and started attending Valley Church about 15 years ago. I married my wife at age 23, but I was a terrible husband almost from the very beginning. I struggled to provide and lost multiple jobs in the financial industry because of my addictions. It wreaked havoc on my wife and five children. I was outwardly kind to others, but inside me existed the hardest heart imaginable. I was unfaithful to my wife in the forms of multiple adulterous relationships over the course of a decade. Despite her unwavering love and faithfulness, our marriage was a disaster, and it seemed to me that there was no hope for us. I would do well for a while, but ultimately I would seek love and acceptance that I would later find only Jesus could provide through extramarital relationships. I blamed drugs and alcohol initially for my failures, but they continued even when I became sober for four years. Two years ago, I decided I'd remain I had failed to remain faithful for the last time. 
and I resolved to give up trying in our marriage. I began openly dating other women. With the persuasion of one of these women, I began pursuing other alternatives to Christianity, including New Age spirituality, Buddhism, spirit guides, and even atheism. I was desperate to know the truth and to find something that would change my life. I was utterly convinced that I was on a new correct path. My initial wake-up call came in the form of an email. After meeting with church leadership, my wife had filed preliminary divorce paperwork with the state. The reality of losing custody of my five children set in, and I resolved to return home and attempt to reconcile one last time with my wife. My wife and I attended a week-long marriage intensive called Hope Restore, designed to help couples recover after dealing with the devastating aftermath of infidelity. Valley Church sponsored us to be able to attend, which I found surprising, given that I was very open about my unbelief. Their willingness to invest in our marriage, along with my wife's unfailing love and support, produced a tiny crack in my ice-cold heart, and I started to lean in ever so slightly. When we returned from the conference, I decided that even though I still wasn't convinced of what the truth was, I was going to start back at square one with Christianity until I could rule it out as a false hope. I was sure it wouldn't take long. I began by attending an alpha class with my wife here at Valley. I was placed in a group with Tom Miller, a former Air Force pilot. He welcomed my questions and provided answers to many of them. The alpha class helped me relearn the basic tenets of the Christian faith I grew up with and gave me a framework to build on. My family joined a life group, and even though I was open about my unbelief and skepticism, their unconditional love and support encouraged me to keep going. At the invitation of a life group member, I began a Bible study, Bible study fellowship, on the book of John at the same time we began the Rooted Book as a church. These two things helped me understand that Jesus came to save sinners and that he's the only way to heaven. In September of 2023, I took a trip to Tokyo, Japan with my mother, father, and brother. What should have been a family bonding experience turned into a disaster. I broke my sobriety. I thought I'd leave my problems in Japan, but I continued to drink when I returned home, and it culminated in me being arrested after an altercation in a bar. I own my own finance and consulting company, but when my main client found out about my arrest, they terminated their contract with me. I was left without a job or any income once again. This was my rock bottom, a total gut punch. After resuming my spiritual journey in the midst of my job hunt, I decided it was time to make a decision one way or the other. So after a conversation with Dr. Gary Rosberg, I read The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel, and I was struck by the overwhelming evidence for Jesus not only existing, but being who he said he was. There was so much evidence that he died and rose again. Now I was convinced that the Jesus and the God of the Bible were real and alive, but I wasn't convinced he wanted anything to do with me. On December 19th, I scheduled a meeting with Pastor Linton and prepared a list of five questions. I told myself if he could answer them, that I'd make a decision to follow Christ that day. These questions included things like, how do I even know I have the ability to become saved? Is predestination true and only some people are chosen or picked? How can an all-knowing God possibly see me as someone worth saving? And what do I do with all my sin? How do I get rid of my shame and guilt? Our meeting lasted almost an hour, and at the end of it, I found that he had answered my questions definitively and scripturally. I decided that despite the other questions popping into my mind, that I was done with the excuses. I repented of my sin, took a step of faith, and prayed to receive Christ and turn my life over to him totally and completely. It turns out in Christianity, the opposite of ignorance and unbelief is not knowledge. In the pursuit of knowledge, it's obedience to Christ. So what things have changed in my life since I began my relationship with Jesus? First and foremost, my guilt and shame have disappeared. I feel a new sense of freedom in Christ, and I can feel His presence, power, and victory in my life. His Word has taken on a new meaning and significance for me, and I look forward to reading it every single day, and i found that God is willing and able to speak to me through His Word. I feel my heart being renewed, and I can finally love myself because I see myself as God sees me instead of through the lens of past mistakes. I have a newfound love and compassion for other people, especially those who don't yet know Jesus. I finally know the truth I sought so aggressively, and I found that on which I wish to build my life. I no longer find my fulfillment in material things, my job, or other relationships. I know where my hope comes from. 
I want to be baptized and share my testimony in obedience to God's word. I want God to use my story to point others to Jesus. I also want to show my church family that I'm a new creation and committed to following the G Jesus for the rest of my life. I want to show I'm dead to sin and have been made alive in Christ. So I share this with you, not just to glorify God, but to encourage you. Maybe you're struggling with an affair. Maybe you're on the brink of one. Maybe you're struggling with an addiction. Maybe sin has a hold on your life. Maybe Satan has a foothold. I want you to know that God's grace, his blood, and what he did on the cross is sufficient to not only pull you out, but to restore you. He did it for me. He'll do it for you. We're seeing God at work, not just in Andrew's life, but in hundreds of other people's lives, thousands of people's lives through our church, through the gospel in Des Moines. Together, let's continue to ask, seek, and knock at God's door and see what God would do. Father, right now we come to you and ask you to be at work in the families, in the homes, in our church, in our activities, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our everyday go comings and goings. Lord, be at work. Would you break through? We would love to see you work more. We would love to see you do more than you already have. As astounding as it is, we would love to see more renewal, awakening in our lives and in our city. And all God's people agreed and said, amen, amen. God bless y'all.